Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. Hope you're all having an awesome start to the week. Uh, today's episode is with David Angel from Redgrave, an executive search firm in London, one of the best executive search firms. And my whole aim of this podcast was to really get under the hood of an executive search firm and what and how it differs from the contingent world. David's background was uniquely perfect for the interview because he started at Walters, worked at Page for an eternity and is now a managing partner at a leading executive search firm. Uh, great chat, talked about like how the industry is changing, you know, what sets them apart. And hopefully just give some of you guys just an insight into what it's like doing exec search at the boardroom level in the London and international marketplace. So hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you know anybody who you think oh, would be great for me to interview, I'm always looking for interesting guests that have had a different background and can bring something unique to the show. And as ever, big shout out to our two sponsors, Luxo and Sourcewell. Um, both products are coming on leaps and bounds. Like this AI stuff that's happening out, out there at the moment is unbelievable. And Luxo are really, really stepping up their analytics game as well. So much more suited to team management than maybe they were a few years back. But we're really, really happy with both products and how we use them. If you want to learn more about how you can use them on any rec tech or you're looking to implement a new ATS, my wife and business partner, Charlotte, is your go-to. We're doing lots of really interesting stuff with RecWire right now. So we're going to launch our premium platform pretty soon, probably in about October. So that's been built at the moment by a guy called Dominic McGlynn, who's also been brought in as a business partner for RecWire. And there'll be more information on that as well. RecWire is our community for recruitment founders where we help them with every part of their business from technology to business processes, advice, introductions to non-executive directors, marketing, you name it, we've got the link to it. So loads of interesting stuff happening in that side of the business. On my rec to rec front, we're doing a lot more in the UK and Ireland and uh, the international market is ticking along. So no real complaints. And we're looking forward to our summer party which is going to happen. I've got a busy couple of months. I'm going to be turning 40. Oh my God, how did that happen? <sighs> In July, and then straight on to the RecWired party two weeks later. So that's going to be some crack in London. But it's summertime, summer vibes here in Gibraltar. I'm down to Marbella on Thursday to take part in a friend's incentive party which uh, I'm very happy about and uh, life is good and I hope it is for you too Hi, Dan Alexander here and this episode is brought to you by Required, the all-in-one go-to platform for serious recruitment professionals, owners and founders who are looking to grow their businesses now, we'll actually be launching the new online platform very soon. And if you'd like to be one of the first people to get access to our state-of-the-art learning platform and vault of online resources, 
then get in touch with us through the link in the description of this episode. Welcome to the Recruiter Startup Podcast. I'm joined today by David Angel from Redgrave. How are you, sir? Yeah, good morning. Yeah, very well. Thank you. How are you? Very well. Life is, uh, life is good here in Gibraltar today. Tell me, uh, you're, you're in the capital? Yes, I'm in uh, London today. We have Gibraltar-like weather as well. So we've had a cracking 10 days or so of sunshine. So I suspect your weather will last longer than ours, but all good here today, yeah. Um, so for anybody listening, uh, I'll let you tell a little bit about Redgrave, but one of the top exec search firms in London. So I suppose today, a lot of our listeners are contingent search firm, contingent owners, and... Um, some hybrid firms that do a bit of search and contingent and a lot of senior recruiters from, you know, a, a broad range of STEM backgrounds. And a lot of them will have thought at one stage or another, what would it be like to work in executive search? Like, what is, what is that world? Like, how do I, how do I get into it? Is it that different? And it's a bit of a mystery. Now, your background is really interesting because you came from our world mm -hmm. and then you did it within that world and then you moved over. But talk to me just a little bit about how you got into recruitment, started the journey. So interestingly, listening to one of your other uh, podcasts recently with Giles Daubeny, uh, he was telling the story of Robert Walters proactively looking to hire part qualified accountants out of the big accounting firms and that is exactly my story so i was working for the business that today is called deloitte it was called uh touche rost back in the day when i worked there mm. and year two wasn't happy didn't do well in a set of exams fell out and i literally stumbled across an advert that robert walters had put in the evening standards looking for part qualified accountants for this newfangled industry recruitment. This is 1994. I went along, I met Giles literally on that day. And 29 years later, I'm still in the industry. So it was, a, it was an accidental journey for me. Like, I guess many people, you end up falling into the industry. What is Walters like back in that day? Because I, 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 we both started our career there, uh, me in the far-flung area of uh, Western Australia, you in the capital. Um, what, what, what was it like? How many people, how many, what was their headcount at that stage? So when I joined, the business would have been in the UK, maybe 80, 90 people, oh. all in one room in Covent Garden, actually not that far from where I'm talking to you this morning. And um, a kind of fledgling kind of continental European business across kind of Amsterdam and Benelux. And they were just starting to open up in the US as well. So it was a relatively small organization compared to the, the business that it became over the years. But I think a lot of the DNA of the firm had, had been established. And of course, you know, Rob Walters himself was still front and center of the business back then. So, you know, it was just a smaller version of the business it became. And you, you're an accountant. Um, you studied up north, right? You're, you're, you're in the capital. You're a young guy. Like, 
what was the what was the environment like? What, what was this recruitment world like? Was it was it hectic? Was it intense? Did you have dreams of your candidates and clients at night? Was it intense <laughs> experience that you've ever had, like I had? It, it, it was. Um... It, I mean, it was mind-blowing. And I, I distinctly remember the first six months being just a haze of confusion. <laughs> I, 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 look, I think I took the job because I really liked the people. And, you know, it was pitched to me in, in, in a really sensible way. It ticked a lot of my boxes. And the learning curve was super steep for me. Um, I hadn't really appreciated that it was a sales job. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, cold calling was new. Remember, we're talking pre-internet, pre-email, pre-mobile phones. So we yeah. were fax machines with CDs. We were calling candidates, you know, in the evenings when they were back from uh, doing their audits during the day. It was proper old school recruitment. And it was great. It was pacey it was um you know volatile it was great fun yeah. it, you know look i was in my mid-20s in the big city wow it, and it was it was really it was fun yeah it was they were good times good times we were, were you recruiting accountants yes so i was basically recruiting people just like myself so i was a part qualified yeah. accountant for so i was talking to people who were my age group my peer group absolutely so so like for like yeah interesting so it didn't stop you moving to the enemy though right no no and um i think look back in the day yeah um there was this whole back and forth michael page robert walters and yeah i i you know i jumped ship um and spent nearly 20 years at Michael Page. Okay, so fair to say you're probably more aligned to Michael Page and that experience, even though Walters was your first. From the outside sure. looking in, the industry counts them as the one company in terms of processes, the way they work. Do you see any difference? So when I first moved, there, there was a huge difference. Um, because Michael Page had become so much bigger more quickly because it was an older business than, than, than Robert Walters. So they were further ahead in the journey. Mm. So they were more international. They were probably a bit more corporate, for want of a better turn of phrase. And, you know, Robert Walters probably had more energy and more, uh, it was more fun. It felt, like a, it felt like more of a startup, did it? Yeah, it was a, it was a more energised, more fun, slightly wilder. Yeah. It's, it's Michael Page had already become a bit, a bit corporate. And I think looking back, having been at Deloitte, perhaps I was naturally more suited to the slightly more corporate environment. And actually what Michael Page became back then, for me, was a perfect compromise between Robert Walters, where, you know, I love the people, love the job, yeah. and maybe the slightly more kind of corporate life that you get in a Deloitte. Yeah. But I think over the, over the 22, three, four years since, I think that the, the differences between the businesses have, have, have shrunk to, you know, next to zero, because, you know, Michael Page is still a 
hugely successful, you know, great organization. But Robert Walters has just just gone on and on and on and on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would imagine that working in those businesses is probably more similar than perhaps would have been, you know, when I first made that move. Yeah, it, it, it fascinates me that somebody starting their career can all, sometimes dictate the type of company they build down the road, the, the environment that they go in. And like, I feel like if you've started in Walters or Page, you're very much suited to boutique life. Um, well, a lot of people who start in S3 try and replicate that. Yeah. Uh, th- there's a qualitative nature to the training that they put you through. Do you think that that, there, that, that stood the test of time in terms of entering you into executive search? For me, def- definitely. You know, that, that early years learning curve when I was, you know, doing contingent recruitment in the mid-90s, the understanding of process control, influence, relationship building, all still relevant to what I do now. Mm. And actually, that's why I still do what I do now, because I loved it then, and and I love it now. Obviously, the the nature of what I do and the clients that I work for, very different. But the the intrinsic skills, behaviours, enjoyment of the job, absolutely you know, two peas in a pot. Yeah, it's like you've grown up with your with your candidates and clients. Yeah, yeah, but I think that's why I made the move into search in my early forties because I, you know, I'd enjoyed my previous life for twenty plus years, and then it was time to do something else. Can I take you back a step? Um, mm. so you say you moved into search, but you were in page executive before that. It, what what was that? Was that was that contingent or was it a mixture? Something you've yeah. said previous was there's a difference between retained and search, and that's a. I was like, oh, okay, I'm a newborn. Tell tell me what the difference is. So the the big difference is the conversation that you have with your clients up front, and then the process to deliver successful outcomes for your clients. But fundamentally, for me, Mm. Page Executive was a stepping stone out of high-end contingent recruitment, which is what I've been doing previously, Mm. into full-blown executive search. So I would say Page Executive had more in common with what I have done at Redgrave for the last 10 years than my previous life at, at Michael Page or Robert Walters. But the big, big, big difference is the, 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 the brand and the organization that you work within. Because if you, if you work within Michael Page, whatever you're doing in that business, you, you, you kind of carry the whole firm's baggage with you. So you can, you can get close to doing the type of search that I do now, but you don't have the time, the resource, the, the, the credibility necessarily to, to work at board level in the way that, uh, you know, a search firm like the one I work for now does. So that you, you're slightly boxed in mm. in terms of the brand, 
And also, the reality is that at each stage of the recruitment pyramid, there are firms that are brilliant at what they do at that point of the pyramid. So, you know, high street recruiters, local recruiters, they're brilliant at what they do. Same with, you know, specialist contingent recruiters, mass market contingent recruitment firms, first tier search, mid-level search, and, you know, top, 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 top tier search, you know. So uh, time, resources, and influence. Um, so that's the, the ability to win the work and then the ability to deliver it. What Can you walk me through what it looks like at Redgrave from going to pitch for work? Like, how do you hear about the work to pitch for it, firstly? And then from there, what, what does the lead up to that pitch look like? What does the bit slightly after where you're kind of wondering if you've won it or not, how do you make those, some of those decisions? And, and then we'll, we'll jump into the rest. Sure. So it, it, it won't surprise you to hear that it varies massively. Sure. You know, a, lot of, a lot of the searches that we do will be repeats for clients. So we, we, we have a hugely trusted set of clients who will use us repeatedly for different searches across their organization. So there wouldn't necessarily always be a pitch per se for that type of work. I guess the scenarios where we do a pitch in, in the sense that you've just asked would be either if a client wants to benchmark us against another firm mm -hmm. or whether we are having our first interaction with an organization who are considering us amongst the, 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 the small handful of firms that they're, they're considering, almost like a beauty parade. Yeah. And I, I guess a lot of our work um, comes through word of mouth, um, just just reputation as a as a high quality search firm, but the conversation might be, um, look, we'd want you to come in and pitch for this work. Here's the here's the job. Here's the brief. Here's a bit of information about us. Um, sometimes we would get a lot more data up front, and we would need to do pre pitch documents. We'd need to do capability documents where we outline our expertise in a function and in a sector talk about our specifically comparable track record it's about giving the client confidence that not only do we have a world-class process that will deliver the outcome that they want but actually we know the talent pool that is most relevant to that search be it geographic be it sector be it functional frankly be it all three so what we have to demonstrate sometimes even before the pitch can be significant. You know, we can produce 20, 30, 40 page documents before the pitch that is really about giving the clients comfort that we've got genuine expertise that stands us apart from another search firm. Um, you guys have managed to grow and quite a lot. Um, how, how have you done that when other search firms struggle to get more than like four or five and lots of other of the top tier search firms have lost people lots of people and my inbox is hammered by the most average exact search for people you would ever see in your life and they don't want to do bd they're a wee bit particular they're they they all want to work for the same company it, 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 but, but but yet you guys you're on your growth 
What's the secret to success? Search firms are, are, are groups of people. And, and fundamentally, I think what we've done is we've managed to um, expand from a, a strong core that we had, you know, 10, 12 years ago and, and retain that talent and, and, and build around it. And, and I guess we've tried to differentiate ourselves, not, not, not just to our clients, but actually as a, as a platform for people to work. Because fundamentally, all we are is a bunch of people. And if we have more great people working here, we will, we will be a bigger firm. We'll win more work. We'll deliver more work. And the thing, the thing snowballs. And I think, you know, the truth of the matter is, in, in, in search, you, you've got some unbelievably successful lifestyle businesses where they don't want to grow. They're, they're, they're very happy being yeah. five. 10, 15 people. It works for the employees. It works for the owners. They've got it right. They're, they're, they're just comfortable. I think what we have is we have a, um, a a yearning to keep growing and to become bigger and better and more professional and more sophisticated. And I think for a lot of people in search, that energy, that entrepreneurial flair, that desire to keep going it is quite energizing for people. So if you're looking for a platform that's full of energy and ambition, then it, it, it's firms like this that, that, that offer that. I, I don't think there's magic beyond that, mm. really, because we're just a group of people. Yeah. The, well, when you say the word platform, I think a lot about technology. And when I think of technology and marketing, and I think of exec search, you're not as good as contingent. Like the, the it's a it, it baffles me because, and I appreciate it, it. It's been black books, and I know these people, and they trust me for this. But generations change, society changes, who we put in these positions are changing. How how, how are you going to keep up? Like what what like what's going to be unique in search in the next? Five years. I, I, I can't answer that question. I wish I, I wish I knew all of the answers. It's it's an ever evolving industry. T technology is is a disruptor, as it should be. You know, artificial intelligence is going to be a disruptor in this this industry from a data mining and 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 kind of networking perspective. But but fundamentally, at the heart of executive search is is a process. Yeah. You know, a rock solid, robust process and, and, and then a professional leading that process. And I think where firms like us have success is, is where we have a reputation as, as a genuine expert in, in, in a field or a number of fields. And that's quite hard to replicate. But let me jump into that because... Reputation and brand is, for a famous quote saying, that it's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Mm -hmm. How we exponentially like, build on that is by getting that message out to more people than just word of mouth. Right? Uh, when I set up this podcast 2016, I could see that our industry was going to change. And I could see an avenue to 
make my clients famous and put that out there to a marketplace that would give them value beyond me having a meeting and telling them about the market and them getting something from it. You're going to launch your own podcast now. You you wouldn't have done that 10 years ago. What is it about now that you feel the world is ready for maybe executive search to show a bit more of who they are? I think for us, it's about a new phase of growth because I think we've come a long way in the last 10 years. I mean, we've trebled the size of the business in terms of headcount and, and, and revenue. And we've largely done that through repeat business, through sales-led um, behaviours and, and, and through the, the, the people who work at Redgrave. I think we've acknowledged that to, to double or treble the business again, we need to have a brand that, that has an echo that, that goes way beyond just a bunch of hardworking people. So it's about addressing maybe the, the, the toolkit that's been missing historically in terms of actually who are we? How yeah. do we talk about ourselves? How do people hear of us? What, like, like how effective are we in outlining the points of difference between us and any other search firm that might look like us to the outsider? So what, what are the, the little bits of DNA, the points of difference? The why would you give us a search rather than someone else a search? And, and, and converting that into marketing activity, into podcasts, into thought leadership, into just, just a more all-rounded kind of communication strategy so that hopefully the echo, you know, extends a lot further. And that, that's new for us. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm it, it's also very brave for executive search because there's always that, ooh, how we're perceived is everything. And did this take a long time? Was somebody driving this internally? Like, where, where did it come from? I think it comes from ambition, ambition to grow and a realization that actually you need a blended sales and marketing strategy to keep growing a business. Mm. You know, lots of organizations, B2B organizations, culturally are either marketing led or, or sales led. The best ones do both. Yeah. And I think there was a realization from us that we've not invested enough in brand building, in marketing, in really kind of cutting through so that we create a much clearer, distinctive reputation in the market. And if I'm listening to this, and I'm at a, an executive search firm or maybe a contingent firm, I mean, how do I get a job at Redgrave? Like, what? how do I get into working at the very senior level? Is it like... What, like what, does that, what does that look like, apart from approaching you? You know, but like what... What's the characteristics of it? What what kind of a track record do I need? Like when you see this person, how do you know? Okay, there there we go. Because it, it, surely it's not just a posh boy network. Like you seem like a a very normal, straight up guy um, who's been really successful. And it, it, sometimes when I speak to search firms, I I don't get as much transparency. So I'm I'm just curious. It's really interesting that you've picked up on that because I think one of the points of difference to us as a, as a business is that we're quite 
uncomplicated, straightforward people. And I think that clients increasingly find that appealing because mm. it's it's very no nonsense. You know, there's no smoke and mirrors. There's no pretense. There's no fakery, for want of a better word. You know, we're, we're, we're quite upfront and effective as a firm. Mm. And I think that that leads into the type of people that we like to, to recruit for the firm because if we want to keep doubling down on our points of difference, we have to be true to the DNA of the firm and, and look to recruit people who are similar. And, and being posh, to use your phrase, it is, is totally irrelevant to us. Mm. You know, the, the, where somebody was born, where they went to school, who their parents are, totally irrelevant to us. I think what we look for is people that our clients will buy from, because fundamentally, however big the search firm, clients are still buying from an individual and they have to believe that that individual is the best placed person to deliver that search. Mm. So fundamentally, what people need to bring to us is credibility, you know, gravitas and some life experience, either in our industry or, or in business. So mm. that when you're sat in front of a client or potential client, you're having a business conversation with them. It's a proper business to business conversation where you've got some knowledge and some expertise that will help you deliver a successful search, if that makes sense. So fundamentally, it comes down to presence, gravitas, commercial flair, an ability to talk to, to customers, potential customers. And, and then it's about, well, what have you done? You know, why would a client trust you to do this search rather than your competitor? Because that's what it comes down to. It's about one person running the search. They're only going to give one person the search. So why is it you? And I think around the edges, we can fill in a lot of knowledge gaps, experience gaps. We can kind of open the box to the, the, the reality of search to people. But what we can't do is we can't make people have gravitas and credibility if, 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 if they don't, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it's uh, people have to bring inherently valuable tools into this environment and we can, you know, do a lot. And all of us who work here, me included, it's, you know, if you, if you were interviewing me 10 years ago, mm. you, you, you would be talking to a, a person who knew a lot less than I do today about business, about search, about, you know, talking at a proper board level. Mm. But but it didn't stop me being, you know, useful to Redgrave when I when I joined 10 years ago. And I think that's the point, that we don't need to hire the finished article. We don't we don't need to hire people who've got 20 years search experience. We, we, of course we will hire them and we do hire them. But also, you know, there are a lot of people at Redgrave who are hugely successful who started like I did. Uh, Hayes or Robert Walters or Michael Page or Goodman Masson or Babe Knock and Clark, it, 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 that's not relevant, really. It's about who they are now and, and, and will clients at the right level take them seriously as people that matters. Very good. Now, talk to me a little bit about the types of positions that you recruit for. You mentioned board, boardroom level. 
like what 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 industry what like walk me through what what does somebody do at board is it a full-time job is it a part-time job is it like what what is it so we do executive and non-executive search so if we get rid of the the non-executive search first of all those will be chairman mm. and non-executive directors who will sit on a board they're not full-time they will be um representing shareholders or representing owners of a business and they will hold the executive team to account and advise and guide them in regular board meetings. So we will do chair searches for listed businesses and for private equity backed businesses. So we do a lot of search, uh, a lot of hiring for search and then we will do non-exec appointments and advisory appointments across PLCs and into private equity backed and actually sometimes privately owned businesses as well, where they want third party advisors on the board. So that, that, that's an element of what we do, mm. but it's not the focus. The, the focus is, is executive search, which will be CEOs, managing directors, and then the other functional positions across the board, be it chief financial officer, chief HR officer, chief marketing officer, chief re- any C-suite role, that sits um, around the senior management team or on the exec board. And then for organizations of a certain level, we'll recruit one or maybe even two levels down from that. So reports into uh, executive board members. Okay. And has anything changed? Like in, obviously, further down the food chain, we're worried about work from home, hybrid working, you name it, there's been like, the world is changing. Is is that the same at the top as well? Is, has your yes. search just become more complex? Um, in a way more complex, but in a way more straightforward. So I think um, at all levels, teams need to get together regularly, whether it's face-to-face, on-site, off-site, over a platform like this. And it's the same whether you're an executive team or, or you're a team you know, lower down an, an organization. So in, in a way, it's got more complicated, but in a way, the technology has massively helped. So, we, you know, we're doing much, much more global work, more, more international searches than we've ever done before because the technology allows us to do that and it also allows us to move talent, you know, globally or, or, or appoint talent, you know, globally where you need to hunt more internationally to find the right kind of skill set. But we still have the same conversations with candidates and clients around what their policy is. So how often are you expecting somebody to be in the office? Which office? You know, how are they supposed to be managing their teams and influencing across the business? So that they are the same, they, they are the same issues at, at, at all levels of, of organizations. Um, you know, and, and, and individuals that we approach for our searches, mm. they will always ask us, you know, where's the job based? Yeah, yeah. How much base time is needed? And I don't think that's going to change now. I think that's that's here to stay. So but just to take you back a little bit, you, you mentioned about a lot of executive search firms being lifestyle businesses, which is absolutely true. And you're clearly not. Um, usually... When lifestyle businesses is a broad sweeping statement, so please don't take offense or message me about that if you're a, if you're in a boutique. Um, but 
if your business your size, um, are you building for an event? Um, is it is does that happen in search? Do you work under the same parameters of of the value of the business? Are you thinking we need a temp? We need a, a temporary business here as well to make it a bit more sticky. We need an international office, or is it just the value of the connections at the very top? Like what what holds the security of the business outside of the three, four, five super connected people in the business? Can, can you get insight into what that looks like at a strategic level? Yeah. Well, let me just touch on the lifestyle point for a minute, just just so you don't get complaints. Um, for, for us, what that means is the business is funding a lifestyle for the owners of the business. And, and the, yeah, right? And, and, and those people yeah. are super happy with the business that they've built. They, yeah. they typically love what they do. They, they, they work very hard, but they answer to no one else. Everyone's happy. I think sometimes people misunderstand that phrase yeah. as you don't work hard, it's, Big time. it's not very serious. That, that's not what a lot of them work. Like. A lot of them work harder because yeah. you know, people doing their work. Yeah, and I think that's Maybe what not I me, mean. But, that's know. what I mean by lifestyle business, yeah. right? So, so that's fine. So, the reason why we're not a lifestyle business is that this is um, now a um, an employee-owned organization with a third-party minority investor. So at the end of 2021, we did a transaction. We sold a minority stake in the business to a third party with a view to scaling the business materially and looking to realize some value over a three to five-year period. And we're, we're in the second year of, of really looking to, to do that. And you know, value creation for a search firm, it, it is about scale, for, first and foremost. It's about making sure that you're not reliant on one, five, ten individuals, that you actually have a, 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 a thriving business and a brand and a reputation that, of course, is represented by people, but actually is capable of, of being constantly regenerated and refreshed by the talent that's that's coming through, and that's very much you know the the part of the journey that that, that we're on at the moment. Yeah, G Giles Dobney said to me that Brian Hamill is the most connected man in London. So that that's where the that's where the the, the, the question came out of how do you how do you mitigate the risk of of that one person having so many connections? And obviously, growth is the way to do it. Um, Part of that growth journey does it involve international locations as well or is london going to be the epicenter and interesting so look we 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 do a lot of international search from from london are either executing the searches from here or flying out to meet clients or flying out to to run search processes on the on the ground we we, we are um, open-minded as to whether we have boots on the ground in one or two distinct locations. They would probably be North America, East yeah. Coast, US first, and then maybe Asia. But interestingly, our, our, our London headquarters is not stopping us doing a high level of international work. So I, I, it would be circumstantial as opposed to a de definitively you know, committed strategy.
Okay, well, look, that's going to be us today. Um, I'm going to ask you one more question, but I want to thank you for your transparency in this. Pleasure. And I've tried to do this before with Executive Search, and I couldn't get under the, the skin. And I've, I've had a couple of interviews I couldn't even publish. And I, I really wanted to thank you for that. Um, what do you still, what gets you up in the morning? Why do you still love this? Why, why should someone who's listening to this want to get into executive search? So look, I, I fell into this game, as I said to you, you know, nearly 30 years ago, and it gives me the same pleasure now as it did then. So it's a, it, it's a highly energizing, interesting, challenging, varied job. And I work for and with really talented people, my colleagues, my clients, the people that we headhunt in our searches. Every day, every day is different. Every month is different. Every quarter is different. And I guess for us, because we're now on a whole new chapter of, of growth and expansion and, and, and we are pushing, you know, we're pushing to keep building this firm as managing partner, I'm, right? That kind of sits in part on my shoulders. So it's very motivating and, and it's exciting because there is a real opportunity for us to be even more successful than we've been and be bigger and better and better known and have more great people working here. So yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're on a journey and it's, it's great fun. Thanks very much, David. Well, thank you. Take care.